Good evening, kind listeners, and welcome to another episode of Let Me Tell You a Story. I'll be reading from Chapter 3 of Unchosen, where we find Pempe confronted by his stem Fuhrer after the bombing. Two days later, Pepe stood alone in the DJ barracks where he took his weekly meetings. After months in the DJ, Pepe was now used to the drab and stern interior of the room where he listened to lectures from his Fuhrer about the sacred duty of all German boys to heed a calling that the bombs in the Fountain Square had taught him to understand. Inside those walls, the voice of his mother faded and a stern reassurance of a life more difficult enveloped him. He walked taller with purpose, towards a destiny he could almost reach out and touch, a destiny which he now knew was more important than what had been waiting for him just a year before. He stood stiffly facing the door, waiting for the Fahnleinfuhrer to arrive. All the Fahnleinfuhrer had told him was that he had something important to say. The unstained wooden walls whispered to him of some triumph. The desks and benches neatly marching along the length of the room assured him of his indoctrination into a crusade that would one day anoint him as a savior of his people and the righteous reckoning of history. He heard the door handle rattle and stretched himself upward, standing as tall as he could. When he saw the man who entered, he reflexively extended his right hand, stiffening his wrist so that his hand was parallel with his arm, and heard himself nearly yell, "'Hal Hitler!' The man looked back at him sternly, his eyes set beneath furrowing black brows and nearly daring Pepe to breathe. The man responded quietly, Heil Hitler. The Fahnleinfuhrer had not told Pepe that he would be meeting the man that now towered over him, the Stammfuhrer himself, the regional leader of over 600 boys ranging from 10 to 14 adorned in neatly pressed winter blue shirt and trousers with a red banner wrapped around his arm, proudly displaying the thick black swastika against a white circle. Pepe braced himself for either a dire fate he could not imagine, or a great accolade that was even harder to imagine. It couldn't be anything more or less. Follow me, the Stamfuhrer said, striding to the front of the room to sit down behind the instructor's desk. Stand there he said, casually pointing at the floor in front of the desk. Pepe stood rigidly at attention, trying to ignore the sweat forming along his hairline and the quivering in his knees. He needed to be strong, he needed to be respectful, and surely he was in due awe of the Stamfuhrer. At the same time, he needed to not show the fear that was already making his mouth dry. The man folded his hands neatly on the desk and leaned forward. I understand you were involved in the recent bombing of our village. The man didn't smile or frown. His eyes were steady as glass. Pepe couldn't even tell if the man was breathing. He grit his teeth, trying to keep his knees from trembling any harder. Why had the Stamfuhrer put it just that way? It almost felt like an accusation, as if Pepe had marked the target and waved the English in. For whatever reason, a lone crew had released bombs destined for the Ruhr on Pepe's village instead. With the BF-110 closing in, its cannons already biting into the Lancaster's wings, it seemed to Pepe that the Englishmen and the bomber had simply shown their true colors and panicked in the heat of battle. Instead of striking at one of the factories in the Ruhr that churned out the Reich's war machine, they had bombed rabbits and civilians. 
They had simply been cowards, and Pepe nearly gnashed his teeth at the thought of avenging what they had done. He had been taught that the English were akin to the good German Volk, Aryans like him. But he wasn't so sure. The man took a slow, deliberate breath, let it halfway out, and said, I'm concerned about some of the choices you made. For the first time since he had joined the DJ, Pepe felt a twinge of frustration at hearing one of his leaders speak. It might have been the way the man was talking more than what he said. The Stamfuhrer hadn't been there, after all. Maybe he had just been given the wrong information. It felt like the Stamfuhrer was talking to somebody else, not the little boy who had dragged his fellow citizens to the safety of his mother's porch at the risk of his own young life. Do you know what I'm talking about? The man asked. No, Stamfuhrer. Pepe gulped, wondering if he had made a mistake. The Stamfuhrer held Pepe's gaze as he reached for the phone sitting on the desk. He let his hand hover over the black handset for a moment, as if giving Pepe one last chance to confess before formally charging him with some crime. His brow twitched, and he plucked the receiver from its cradle. He waited a moment and said, Come in now. He gently hung up the phone and folded his hands, still staring at Pepe. Pepe's mind raced, trying to think of what the Stamfuhrer could possibly think he had done wrong. While others cowered, he stood up. While others fled, he walked into the square and started pulling his neighbors to safety. Maybe it was just because he hadn't joined the efforts to fight the fires, a task handily carried out by the mayor's well-trained brigade who quickly brought the sparse fires under control. Or maybe it was because girls died along the Ruhr when it should have been Pepe gunning down English bombers. An absurd thought, as it was not his fault he didn't live there, but his own pride still stung at the thought of gold-braided girls actually fighting the enemy. As he struggled to discern what lay behind the Stamfuhrer's steady gaze, the door at the back of the room opened. As he was still standing at attention, he knew better than to look. He would have to wait, listening to the methodical clomping of boots growing nearer, until he would finally see who wore them. Pepe nearly gasped when he saw the Scharfuhrer from the Fountain Square step behind the desk to stand next to the Stamfuhrer. Have you met Scharfuhrer, Ricker? Pepe. Pepe eyed the 16-year-old boy who represented what he would one day become as a member of the Hitlerjugend. The boy looked at him sternly, but not with the same glare of accusation as the Stamfuhrer. His look seemed only to say to Pepe, Do better. But Pepe also knew that he wouldn't be there if it wasn't for this one H.J., who had decided to bring some meaningless detail to the attention of the Stamfuhrer. What was anything this boy could say compared to the grueling ordeal of the night Pepe had just endured? As if sensing what Pepe was thinking, the Stamfuhrer said, I am told you chose to save a resident of the gypsy camp first. Pepe's mind was a blur. The scene from two nights before came back to him. The fire, the screams, the people crawling along the ground. He hadn't looked at any of them except to try and help those who were closest first. He did remember one thing that he thought might matter to the man staring at him from across the desk. Since he is from the camp, I guess that he is probably a farmer, and our men in Russia need as much food as we can send them. I didn't think beyond that. The man stood up and came around to the side of the desk. Pepe kept his eyes fixed on the wall straight in front of him, but he couldn't help his breathing coming in short, choking gasps that he hoped the Stamfuhrer didn't notice. 
You must learn to think correctly, even in times of panic. That's what it means to be a deutsches Jungvolk. The man let out a sigh, leaving no mistake that he was disappointed in Pepe. The second man, the one your comrade saved, was a pure-blooded German, like you and I. Why didn't you save him first? Pepe didn't know why, except that he was the next chosen man. But he couldn't tell the Stamfuhrer that. He had to think of something better, and fast. He had no legs, Stamfuhrer. Pepe took a breath and dared to shift his gaze to look at the man. He would no longer be of any service to the German people. Then why did your comrade save him at all? Pepe blinked. How could he answer such a question? What were they supposed to do, let the man bleed to death in the street and die? What was the word his mother used? Because it was the only humane thing to do. The man spoke in a low growl. Humane is another word for mercy. No act of mercy is within the grasp of your sworn duty. A crippled German is still ten times more useful than the strongest Untermensch. You must train yourself to remember these things at all times, not just when you're sitting in this hall listening to your instructors. Yes, Stamfuhrer. The Stamfuhrer nodded dismissively at Scharfuhrer Richter. You may go now. The boy nodded curtly and strode back towards the door. Pepe noticed that neither gave the proper Hitler salute. He wanted to say something, and maybe he was even supposed to. But he restrained himself. His leaders would have to atone for their own sins until he found his way out of his own troubles. Turning back to Pepe, the Stamfuhrer said, Nevertheless, you have shown great courage, and your actions set a fine example for others in this stam. Accordingly, it has been decided that you will be given a civil work assignment to further build on the commitment you have shown to your duty as a member of the Deutsches Jungvolk. The Stamfuhrer smiled, and Pepe understood that he was supposed to take all of this as a gesture of honor and pride. But he couldn't get past the words. I'm concerned about some of the choices you made. At least he wasn't being punished. So he stood tall and said the only thing he could think of. Thank you, Stamfuhrer. I won't let you down. He then raised his arm and said with as much enthusiasm as he could muster, Heil Hitler! The Stamfuhrer gave a casual wave of his hand. Heil, that is all for now, Pepe. Dismissed. The job selected to recognize Pepe for his heroism was the honor of accompanying the postman on his rounds, his first official community service assignment. The postman walked briskly, and Pepe found himself having to run a few steps from time to time to catch up. The postman pattered on about the minutiae of delivering mail, how it was the lifeblood of communication in a civilized society, and even some history of mail going clear back to Roman times. Pepe didn't hear most of it, but he did pay attention when the postman stopped in front of one of the houses and stopped talking. The postman gently pulled a letter from his leather satchel and told Pepe to hold his hand open. He gently laid the envelope in Pepe's hand as if it were a thin sheet of crystal that could be broken by a whisper's breath. Listen to me now, Pepe. Pepe looked at the man and nodded. Yes, sir. Every morning before you pick up your satchel, you must check the casualty list posted in the back office. The man stared at Pepe, breathing easily, waiting for Pepe to understand. Knowing that there was something he hadn't caught in the man's instruction, 
Peppy finally asked. Why? Because sometimes you will have to deliver a letter like this one. Peppy looked at the envelope. He didn't recognize the return address, except that it said something about a division. It is from a man to his wife, the postman said. He left it a brow and tilted his head. A man who will never be coming home. Peppy looked at the envelope, blinking. Ever since the bombing, his blood had simmered with a thirst for revenge. All he had imagined was sending his enemies reeling before him. He had actually forgotten that German soldiers could, and of course did, die in battle. The sobering thought made him feel queasy. He thought of his father fighting on the Eastern Front, hunkered down in a foxhole, his hands still wrapped around the grip of an MG-42, his eyes forever staring forward towards an enemy that had beaten him. Oh, now take it up to the house and knock on the door, gently. Peppy looked at the envelope as if it were a snake slithering across his hand, but he understood it was his solemn duty to deliver a dead man's final letter to his wife, and he wondered if she even knew what had happened. Peppy gulped. Surely she had already received her telegram, just like his mother had. Surely he wouldn't be the harbinger of the worst news she would ever know in her life. He looked at the postman with a pleading look. Please don't make me do this, he thought. The postman stared back sternly and held his hand out, pointing at the door. Go. Do your duty now. Peppy closed his eyes and turned around. He took several deep breaths before opening them again to see the front door still staring back at him beckoning him to ruin a young woman's life. All he had to do was knock. Such was his power that day. Peppy felt like he was going to be sick, and he tread solemnly up the wooden steps and onto the porch. He looked up at the door and let out a quick breath. He knocked. A thin woman with unkempt hair and eyes dulled by nights of no sleep opened the door and looked down at him in a vacuous stare. Defeat had wormed its way into her soul, and he could see that she would never come back from that. Peppy looked at the envelope again, making sure he got the name right. Frau Wilhelm, this is for you. He held out the letter and waited for her to take it. His heart sank as he saw her jaw clench and her mouth tighten into a thin line. Her eyes were suddenly wet, but she would not cry. She took the letter, said thank you, and then quietly closed the door. Peppy stood there, feeling his feet pressing down on the floorboards of the porch, listening to a distant bird chirping across the morning, and it made him vaguely angry. Birds were not supposed to sing when a German wife learned of her husband's death in battle. The world was supposed to stop for a moment while she fought back tears so everyone could see how brave she was. Finally, he turned around and walked back down towards the postman, who was quietly towing the ground with the tip of his boot. Peppy slowed down and then stopped, studying the man's profile. The postman called himself Hans, but his nose was curiously thick, and his skin had a dark tint to it, as if he had just returned from a day at the ocean. Peppy had always assumed it was because he spent his days out in the sun, walking through the village delivering mail. But now that he had walked with the man, listened to his stories, and spent hours watching him up close, he realized that the postman did not look like a haunts. Not at all. 
He thought of the Stamfuhrer staring at him, never letting him forget he had committed some sin, while the Scharfuhrer stood next to him, subduing Pepe with shame and confusion without uttering a single word. The vision suddenly coalesced in his mind as he realized why they had shamed him for his decision. There was something unclean about this man who called himself Hans, delivering the last letters from fallen German soldiers to their wives. He still couldn't shake the sense of humiliation that the Stamfuhrer's words draped over his consciousness like a veil, as if he needed to hide somehow from his own deeds. The assignment and the perfunctory compliment for his heroism had seemed empty, devoid of actual pride and honor, filled only by words which did little more than consume air. Pepe knew he deserved better than that, but he still had to prove it to the Stamfuhrer in a way that the man would understand. Now, this man who called himself Hans seemed to be a harbinger of a better destiny, an opportunity to show the Stamfuhrer that Pepe did understand his duty. For looking at the man, Pepe grew more and more convinced that he was not who he said he was, that he was, in fact, an Untermensch hiding in plain sight. You have been listening to Episode 6 of Let Me Tell You a Story. Copyright 2020, Michael J. Lawrence, all rights reserved. Tonight's music comes from Little Red Church. Thanks for listening, and join us Friday at 5 Eastern for the continuation of Unchosen, Chapter 3.